Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome. The inmates are running the asylum. Yes. Nate is at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. Aaron is in Parts Unknown. So Mondo and I have gotten the good microphones. Yes. And uh, we are running the show. Yes, we are. Strap in tight. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, no, you know what? I just lied to you. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're all about honesty. Yeah. Um, I'm all right, man. I, you know, uh, the week has been pretty crappy. Yeah. Uh, to be to be honest with you, um, but the only way is up. You know. Yeah. And uh, honestly, man, I, I've been uh, just trying to be straight, you know, with you and and some right. close friends about uh, where I'm at and what's going on. So yeah. uh, didn't mean to turn this banter into a mini meeting, but right, just more of that authentic brotherhood. But yeah, man, uh, you know, yeah, pretty crappy, but uh, I'm looking for things to improve. But Good. Uh, Overall, you know, just been really busy on the yeah. grind, doing some things. Got a, a lot of family dynamics going on as well. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, in the podcast, and um, yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty nuts right now going into the holiday season. So right, right. So. Nothing, nothing says holiday fun like all kinds of stress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So e- exactly. So cool. Just uh, and I- I'm really enjoying taking over the ship. <laughs> this this is kind of nice. Right. Uh, so who am I going to am I going to play Aaron or are you going to play Nate? Who who's going to be the sarcastic? I think uh, I'm naturally more of a smart ass. So maybe okay. I should be Aaron. So you'll be Aaron. Right. I'll make him proper jokes. Okay. All right. And, and then and I need, I need man. I and you've Nate. got a better radio voice than I do. I have to, well, okay. Well, I have, to, <laughs> I have to be Nate. Okay. So what do I need to do to be to be Nate? You know what we may actually need to do? We may need to bring a third person in mm-hmm. just to help us out. So we've got a friend of ours from Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trey Lovern uh, on the line with us. He's going to uh, to sit in on an interview that we've got coming up uh, with Shannon Etheridge. Uh, but Trey, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for letting me join the Pirate Month podcast. Yeah, you say uh, that better than I listen, can. <laughs> been listening for years, and man, you know, we um, got to be on an episode, uh, I don't know, months back, maybe yeah. a year ago. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, that's right. But um, good to be back on this side of things. This is great. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, sure thing. Well, Trey's down in Birmingham. Uh, they've got a really cool ministry uh, going on down there called Route 1520, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. And we co- and when we come back from that break, we're going to give Trey a chance to just sort of let us know what's going on down there. Yep. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and grab a break, and then we'll come back with a few minutes with Trey, and then we'll be uh, doing an awesome interview with Shannon Etheridge on the Pirate Monk podcast. Whoa! Pirate's life is a wonderful life, a roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. All right, so we're back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Mondo and Newton, inmates yes. running the asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've asked our friend Trey uh, to sit in with us. And uh, Trey, tell us a little bit about Route 1520 and what you guys are doing. Yeah, well, Route 1520 is a ministry that my wife and I started um, about I guess almost five years ago now, um, that deals specifically with sex and pornography addiction. Um, many of your listeners may have heard my story, many I'm sure have not, but I lost my family uh, after 11 years of marriage due to my addiction to porn and sex. And that, as God undid me there, um, basically I began to, to really understand the gospel in a new way because it took him blowing up my pristine reputation for me yeah. to, to come to that perspective and I began to really understand grace in the gospel and, and God 
began to put me on a path toward uh, recovery, learning how to do community well with other men, learning how to allow myself to be known yeah, by others. Familiar. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. It really does. And actually, Nate's book was a was a big part of that process for me. Um, you know, Nate's become a, a good friend. We've had him on our show, but um, didn't know who Nate was. I just picked up Pants um, and the Pirate Monks in the in the um, bookstore um, early in that journey, and certainly it was one of those tools that God used to uh, to begin to open me to the idea that um, that change does take place in community. So right. the, the number, we often get the, uh, the question, where do you get the name, Route 1520? Yeah, Route yeah 1520, where's that come from? Yeah, it's the journey home, Route 1520, the journey home. And really, our reconciliation, to finish that story, we were divorced for six years, my wife Melody and I. And in 2008, after six years of divorce, we actually, by God's grace, amazing grace, scandalous grace, we hmm. actually remarried and were reconciled. And so that was a uh, a great day. We just ex- experienced and celebrated our fifth year anniversary. Oh wow! But the, the our journey it wasn't one day that we said, "Hey, let's um, let's try this reconciliation thing." Right. What God did in us is if you take the story in Luke fifteen, Luke fifteen twenty is the story of the two sons. Ah. And the both brothers uh, actually were rebelling, but one rebelled by being very good, one rebelled by being very bad. And and me, my story was I was publicly an older brother, very, very good, had this meticulous, very pristine, you know, religious resume. I planted my first church when I was 20, had started preaching at 15, all that stuff. Yeah. And secretly, I had this uh, addiction to pornography. Melody was certainly the elder brother, um, and, and then I had this secret prodigal part. But after our, our divorce and everything blew up, the six years uh, that we journeyed individually was really a prodigal and an elder brother journeying to a deeper understanding of the Father's heart. And that is what allowed our our paths to to intersect. It wasn't that we said, hey, let's try this out. It's that God was transforming us as we began to understand more fully what grace was about. Because we were performers. We were performing for... God's approval for everybody else's approval and for each other's approval in our marriage. And so grace was a game changer for us. We really began to grasp that God loves us as we are, not as we should be. And yeah. so that's where we get the name Route 1520. We have uh, recovery groups, very similar to the Samson Society. Right. Our groups are specific to sex and pornography addiction. We also have groups for ladies who are in relationship or have been in relationship with men who are struggling at some level with sex and pornography addiction. So, and Melody, we also have a podcast that we've been doing for almost a year yeah, now called yeah. Undone Refund. Yeah, that's, that's a good podcast. A, I've listened to a few episodes. I enjoy that. Yeah, well, thank you. We, we just basically, it's Undone, Redone, Life is Messy, Bring Your Boots. And so coming from <laughs> our, our idea that life is supposed to be clean and neat and the Christian life, if you're doing it right, there's no speed bumps and no, no hurdles. Yeah. You know, that was our, our belief, which was obviously wrong. But now we have a great time just bringing on guests and talking about topics that aren't popular to talk about. Right. And, and really just, just shining a spotlight on the fact that life is messy, that the gospel uh, is coming to redeem the mess. And, and so having been performers who spent so many years trying to cover up the mess, and that led us to so many uh, just painful places. Yeah. And so just learning to live authentically, uh, that's what we're about uh, on the show. We have a lot of, a lot of great fun on that. We also do a lot of coaching, um, individually, me coaching, me and her coaching, 
uh, ladies, but also are beginning to do a lot more couples coaching. Uh, a lot of couples in crisis have experienced um, infidelity, betrayal of some sort. So yeah. we, we have a lot of a lot of coaching opportunities there as well at, yeah. at TreyAndMail.com. That's cool. cool. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's funny that you said something about like kind of you know the the subtitle of the podcast is about life's messy. We were actually after my Samson meeting um, last night. We're we're talking about sort of the messiness of life and the messiness and the intentional disorganization of Samson society. Uh, that some of the guys, and, and not just in in our group, but you know, guys that are just coming into Samson mm-hmm. are thrown off because there's no curriculum. Right. You know, there's right. no twelve steps to a better you, mm-hmm. or or anything like that. And I was I was talking to them about how I think that Samson in general kind of models life and to some degree about how it's it's messy and it's intentionally disorganized. And right. the idea isn't to say you do this and you do this and you should be twenty five percent better and then you should be fifty percent better. Right. It's there's a whole bunch of middle, right. and there's a whole bunch of stuff where. You just got to kind of say, God, this sucks, mm-hmm. and be okay yeah. with this sucks. Right. You know? Yeah, and absolutely. And I think also for men in men's community, traditionally, when men get together, it's for a book study. Right. Or it's for <laughs> right. a purpose. It's right. for right. something to check off. I got a thought to check. Okay, we're going to get together for this purpose, and when that purpose is fulfilled, then there's no need for us to get together. Right. And that's why I love Samson Society, and, and I love uh, Nate's message uh, <laughs> as well, because that's been the game changer for me is that men need community, period. Right. Not right. just to get more knowledge, but we need to get together uh, just because we're getting together. Uh, I just started a new um, uh, Christian businessmen's group uh, here in Birmingham or with some other guys. And at one of our first meetings, I made that point because we were t- talking around some curriculum and some things topically that we could talk about. And I remember stressing in that first meeting, guys, we got to remember we need to get together because we need to be getting together. Right. It's right. not about whatever the ha- topic happens to be or the book, because when the book is done, we got to know that we still need to be getting together. Yeah, it's right. not just about imparting wisdom and knowledge to each other. Right. You know, that, that sounds a lot like um, what I've heard from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's, honey, what are we doing tonight? Let's just, let's just, let's just you know, hang, hang out. And my question is, well, what are we going to do? Right. And she's That's like, right. Give, well, me a, give me an agenda, right? Yeah, and she's like, well, nothing. I just want to be with you. Right. I'm like, that's cool. We can be together, but what are we going to do while we're together? Right. Well, we don't need to do anything. Right. We don't. I am task-driven. Yeah. I'm like, we don't. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah totally, totally get it. Yeah. So it's, if, any, if anybody who's listening can resonate with that with their wives, yeah. it's very much the same as Trey was talking about when we go to meetings. Yeah. We, we feel that obligation to check things off the list yeah. to feel like we accomplished something. Yeah. When right. all we have to do is just be. Right, right. Well, it's like um, as one of the things that a, a friend of mine at church shared with me was something I think he got from a Richard Rohr book mm-hmm. that takes the, the phrase, be still and know that I am God, mm-hmm. and chops that down kind of word by word to where it starts, be still and know that I am God, be still and know be still, be. be. And, yeah. and I think yep. that, you know, groups like, you know, like Samson or, you know, Route 1520, I think that they help kind of start that path towards mm-hmm. be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I think, 
think as men, we're so afraid to be because we don't really know who we are. We've got this deep insecurity yeah. for the most part. And, you know, I think uh, I love what so many of the, the writers that we're all fans about, that masculinity is bestowed. And when we didn't get that from our father, right. you know, at some point in our life, we had to go to faking it because right. we have this, this big question, do I have what it takes? Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't get answered by, say, 18, 19, 20 years old, well, guess what? I gotta quit trying to get that question answered. I just gotta cover it up, pretend like I know. And now, because now I'm competing for jobs, I'm competing for girls, yeah. I'm competing for opportunity, and it's a dog eat dog world. And right. so we have this deep insecurity. And just to have a safe place like Samson provides and and Route 1520 and many other great ones, where men can come together. And what we say every week at our meetings is, guys, we're here to connect at weakness instead of trying hmm. to impress with strength. Yeah, and and yeah, it's almost right. every week. Even though the regulars know what's coming, it's almost like you can see a collective sigh around yeah. the room. Yeah, because for this hour and a half, they don't have to be filling out the resume or the right. guy on the resume. I don't resume. have to figure out if I'm Bill Cosby tonight, or if I'm the Marlboro Man, or if I'm yeah. John Wayne, <laughs> or if I, or if I'm Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Right. I can just be who I am. Right. I don't have to to have I, a persona. I can be true. I am who I am. <laughs> and I true. That's right. And these men love me for who I am. Yeah. I don't have to have a mask. I don't have to present a facade. I don't have to pose. Mm-hmm. I can be me because right. I'm experiencing authentic community and love and fellowship. And, and not just from these guys, but that's opening me up to, wow, maybe God loves me yeah. as I really am. And that huh, begins yeah. to dissipate the what shame. What a concept. Yeah, to drive so much of the addiction in the first place. That we need to know that God loves us. It's yeah. part of our behavior if we're his child. He loves us. We are his beloved son, period. And that's what the prodigal missed. That's what the elder brother missed. Yeah, well, man. It was all about what they were doing. Yeah, I'm excited about, you know, what you guys are doing in Birmingham. I remember, was it, it wasn't two summers ago, was it, that I was down there uh, when Nate was doing a speaking thing? Was that really two summers ago? Yeah, 2010, believe it or not. I oh, mean, so that's, it's been, that time does fly. <laughs> that sucks. It's funny you mention that because I just, uh, a dear brother, he's become a dear friend um, through our podcast. I never met him in person, but uh, we are now regularly uh, talking through um, through the internet, and I just turned him on to the talk that Nate did uh, that huh. night for us at Oak yeah. And, um, and we were just dialoguing about that, so it's interesting that you make that. Yeah, you actually came by the house, didn't you? Yeah, we came by the house and, and hang out, hung out for a little bit. I think, um, uh, yeah, for, I mean, for maybe an hour or two, you guys kind of had a thing after after the deep, after the the thing at yeah. church, uh, a thing after the thing. We need to do that again, soon. You know, we need to do that again. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe Mondo can come, and we'll we'll just leave making Aaron. Maybe a Hall. pirate monk road trip. Yeah, an infidel right. road trip without Aaron. And absolutely. Nate. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, so cool, man. I am, I'm excited about, uh, what we've got coming up with, with Shannon Etheridge. Um, her book, The Fantasy Fallacy, um, was, you know, I, I just finished that. Um, and I, I really, I, I think, I, I don't know that I can say I enjoyed it, but it was really instructive and it gives, uh, I know you read a little bit of it. It really gives language to fantasy and, yeah demystifying that a little bit and putting some some flashlights and some spotlights on shadows that scare us and that we're uncomfortable with uh so i'm and i'm i am psyched to to talk to her and and kind of dig into uh, a little bit of that that fantasy fallacy idea so um why don't we go ahead and just take a quick break and uh, when we come back 
Uh, we'll jump right into that interview with Shannon Etheridge on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Gravity is working against me. to do for about three years because I just so believe that all of our sexual issues, good or bad, start in the mind. But when I kept seeing all the stuff about the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon hitting our culture last spring, I just thought, okay, the time to write a book on how to understand your sexual fantasies isn't someday, it's now. And so I asked Thomas Nelson, is there any way that you can put my current book on the back burner? Let's just finish that one next year, but let's dive into this phenomenon head first and, and write this book called The Fantasy Fallacy about exposing the deeper meaning behind our sexual thoughts. And they responded, well, only if you can write it in 60 days. Oh, and wow. so it was like, gulp. But we no managed pressure. to write it in, yeah, we managed to write it in 40 days. And what that taught me is that when you're pregnant with a message for that long, it doesn't take much pushing to get it out. That I had already done so much reading and research and so many interviews with coaching clients. And I also do a mentorship program for aspiring writers and speakers called Blast. And so some of my Blast participants jumped in on the research and editing bandwagon. And so we managed to crank that book out in 40 days and are just really thrilled at how God seems to be using it to awaken people to the fact that they're not alone, that their fantasies are very common, and that the issue goes much deeper than just they're a pervert or a twisted thinker or whatever, that none of those things are true. We're all children of God, but we do have some sexual thoughts that are scary to us sometimes, and understanding the root of those and where they actually come from can really go a long way in calming you down and even setting you free. Yeah, very early on in the book, you you lay a scenario out that is, is kind of comical and ridiculous but that I think really sets the landscape for things um, the, where the, the traveler stops at a gas station to get a map and the, the person behind the counter refuses to give him a map and says he's going to call the cops. And um, you, you kind of translate that to um, sort of sexuality and the church and, and Christianity. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Sure. I mean, how can we ignore the fact that sexual fantasies are an issue? When we look at society as a whole and we look at some of the major issues of our day, uh, you know, whether it's um, extramarital affairs, whether it's addictions to pornography, whether it's acting out, um, you know, with homosexuality, I mean, the list could go on and on, child uh, abductions, you know, and human trafficking and just all these major issues that the one thing that they all have in common is that whoever got involved with these things had some sort of sexual fantasy that getting involved in that activity would scratch some sort of itch. So wouldn't it make sense that the church should be a place that people should feel the freedom to come and to say, I'm struggling with this recurring thought. This is what frequently comes up in my mind whenever I'm sexually aroused. And rather than act out on that, can you please help me understand it and heal this wound? Yeah. That what I've learned is that is that sexual fantasies are really just the brain's way of trying to heal itself from previous trauma. And so the church should be that place of healing. But who in the world feels comfortable walking into their church and saying, hey, I fantasize about this. I don't get that, do you? But that's not a conversation <laughs> that you feel the freedom to have with right. your pastor or fellow parishioners. And so it's just one of those things where I had to look not only to Scripture for answers, but I, I looked for what other Christian books have been written on the topic of sexual fantasy, since it's the one thing we all have in common, and crickets. I could find hmm. nothing. And so as uh, as someone from the, the counseling field, I have a master's in counseling from Liberty University, I started looking to my secular um, textbook, but looking at it through a biblical worldview lens of, you know, right. what can we learn about this, the sexual human brain that is in line with our spiritual values. And what I've learned is that they're really not as far apart as most people think. Most people think, oh, well, you know, if you're going to look to the world, then you're just going to, um, you know, go way astray. And no, psychology will tell you that if you have fantasies that are troubling to you, you can retrain your brain in order to bring your fantasy life in line with your spiritual values. And so I definitely think that it's a message that needs to be preached in the church, yeah. and the church, the church should be a roadmap for us to follow. Right, right. And you and you talk very early on in the book about fantasy being a friend, uh, which was yes. really which was really foreign to me, and I think it's probably foreign and, and maybe scary for for most of our listeners. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, I, I first discovered this when my daughter had a car accident, and she did a face plant through the front windshield, and it took her ear off almost completely. Ooh. And so we're in the emergency room, and they are sewing her ear back on. And, of course, at 16, she is so freaked out. And I just said, Erin, let's go on a trip. Where do you want to go? Australia, how are we going to get there? Set plane, who are we going to take? What are we going to do when we get there? Scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef. I mean, it's... It, so for 30 minutes, we talked about this fantasy trip that we were going to take. And at the end, they said, okay, you're all done. And she looked at me and she said, mom, that was amazing. She said, I huh. literally did not think about my ear or what they were doing right beside me. She was, her brain took her someplace else. And I thought, isn't that what happens like when children are being abused, especially yeah. sexually? Their brain goes to a different place because... I think that God designed us that way because he knew that we could only handle so much and that certain times we do have to escape and go someplace else in our minds. But I also think that fantasy, I mean, it's a great motivator. You know, right. if somebody wants to lose weight, <clears throat> fantasize about what you're going to look and feel like when it's all said and done. Yeah. It can be, uh, it can wave a red flag. It can say, okay, because you're fantasizing that this person who gets on the same, on the same train as you at the same time every day, that they may talk to you 
try to strike up a conversation and maybe even strike up a relationship, maybe you need to rehearse how you're going to respond if that actually did happen. Yeah. It, it serves all kinds of great purposes. So we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater right. and say, oh, all fantasy is wrong, it's dirty, it's bad, it's sinful. No, it's not. God wired our brains this way for a reason. Right. And so, yeah, if there's a way that we can use fantasy in a healthy way with other aspects of our lives, then there there has to be a way to use sexual fantasy in a positive way. Absolutely. And our brain is our largest sex organ. And you can't turn the brain off and hope to crawl into bed and have an intimate encounter with your spouse. It right. just doesn't work that way. The brain literally has to be engaged. The pituitary gland is what sends blood flow to those intimate parts of our bodies to prime the pump and to get us ready for such an encounter. Right. So you can't divorce what goes on mentally from what happens in your body. They are all tied together. And so getting comfortable with your sexuality and understanding your own sexual thoughts and having appropriate boundaries around those are really important to fully enjoying our sexuality. It's kind of like when you go to the Grand Canyon, there are certain sections that have a guardrail and in those places, you feel comfortable like pressing right up against the guardrail and maybe even leaning over to look to the bottom. Right. But the sections that don't have any railing at all, you don't feel comfortable getting anywhere close to the edge because you don't feel safe. So just having boundaries around those thoughts, knowing what you're going to do with them, know, knowing that um, they do not have to be acted out upon, that that is key to, to going to those outer limits and experiencing experiencing the fullness of human connection but without falling over the edge and and it becoming destructive in our lives right right oh that's so that's that's so good that's so you know i think that's something that people just don't well to own that statement that's something that i don't recognize and think about uh enough this book really helped me to to start to think about that and process that well just that, that statement that fantasy is actually the brain's way of healing itself i mean what a completely different way of looking at fantasy than what traditionally maybe we've been taught in evangelical circles. And, and I love the, uh, kind of makes me think about the subtitle of your book, Exposing the Deeper Meaning Behind Sexual Thoughts. I know for many, when they think about fantasy, lust all automatically comes to mind. How do you help people draw the line between sexual fantasy and, and lustful sexual thoughts? Well, lust, by definition, is going out of your way to act something out, to, to, to try to put yourself in a position that maybe you could actually make it happen. So there's a big difference between walking down the road and noticing that someone is attractive and thinking, oh, Lord, you make fine art, and then just going on about your day and encountering that person and going, well, now, how can I get them over here for a private conversation out of eyesight and earshot of other people? You know, that's lust. So lust is, is craving something that doesn't belong to you and trying to figure out a way to... You know, to take possession of it. Whereas thoughts, I mean, let's just be real. Some of the thoughts that come into our brain, some of the sexual thoughts, they're not even arousing. I mean, they're just, they're so repulsive and offensive, but we are human and sometimes those thoughts do invade, but sometimes thoughts invade that are arousing. But as long as we are not acting out on that or orchestrating ways to, to give birth to, you know, to, to a fleshful encounter type of a thing, I think that it's more healthy just to press the pause button and say, hmm, why would my brain need to craft that kind of story? You know, what is it that I'm trying to medicate here? Can I give you a couple of case studies that really kind of bring the whole concept to life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
there was a, a female coaching client that came to me at 31 years old, and she was married, had a little girl, and she said, Shannon, I'm really confused and bewildered by the fact that that whenever I'm sexually aroused, what comes to mind is lesbian fantasies. And she said, I've never been with a woman. I'd never want to be with another woman. But, of course, if she had watched Oprah or Ellen or any of the other shows, it would be, you know, oh, well, you probably are lesbian. Just come out of the closet and own it. And it she said, no, that, that's just so not in line with my spiritual values. And I said, well, let's do a sexual history together and see, you know, what comes up. But nothing was really pointing in that direction. She hadn't looked at lesbian porn or anything like that. So it was like God just opened up my brain and said, ask bigger questions. And so I said, well, let's look at the big picture of your life. What kinds of things happen? And I asked her to map out the 20 most pivotal experiences of her life. And what I learned is that when she was 14... She had an 11-year-old sister who went to spend the night with friends, and that night, lightning struck the roof of that house, and it burned to the ground, and everyone inside was killed, including her little sister. And as a result of that, her mother emotionally shut down, became a walking zombie, as I'm Mm. sure you can imagine. So at a very pivotal age in her sexual development, 14 years old, she loses the two women closest to her, her 11-year-old sister physically and her mother emotionally. So these lesbian fantasies are really just the brain's way of trying to recreate a sense of female-to-female intimacy that she, you know, that, that was the thing that she got robbed of. That was the rug that got ripped out from under her feet at a very pivotal season of her life. And so once she understood that, you know, I asked her, I said, now, you know, you, you've told me that you've begged God, you've pleaded with God, you fasted, you've prayed to please take these thoughts away. I said, what if God doesn't? take them away. It, what if this is the thorn in your flesh that you have to deal with? And she said, just knowing where it comes from, just knowing that this is not something I would ever want to act out, that I am a heterosexual woman. I am very happily married to my husband. She said, I, I'm okay with it. She said, I know that God will heal this wound on the other side of heaven when I'm reunited with my sister. Mm. And until then, I can manage this. Yeah. So she, it just took the sting out of it. Right. Another situation where a guy um, that I actually went to high school with, he contacted me after the fantasy fallacy was released, and, and it's written, the book is written for both men and women. And he said, yeah. Shannon, can I share with you about what I, you know, what connections I made as a result of reading your book? And he explained that after 25 years of marriage, he and his wife probably had not had sex at all in the past three years. And he said, sex became an issue in year one when she caught me looking at pornography. And she said, he said, I have never understood why I prefer to look at women on a magazine page or on a screen instead of being intimate with my flesh and blood wife, who's very attractive. And of course, she took it personally, thinking, you just don't think I'm beautiful and I just can't compete with what you're looking at and all that. Just made a big mess of his marriage early on. But he said, I asked myself, What trauma did I experience in my life that my brain would need to medicate itself through looking at pornography rather than having a human-to-human connection? He said, I realized in high school there were four different experiences where older men in authority tried to pursue me sexually, either a youth pastor or a a teacher, uh, a coach, something like that. He said, all four times 
there was something in me that said, just run, just run. And he said, every time I ran, so none of them were ever successful. But he said, now I understand that that conditioned me, that whenever there is any chance of human intimacy, it brings up fear, and it brings up the, the fight-or-flight response, and he usually just wants to, to flight. Wow. And he said, that's what pornography has been for me. It's been a safe place where there's no threat of yeah. harm that there's no vulnerability. And he said, now that I understand that, I'm ready to go through counseling and try to break this porn addiction so that my wife will know that I'm very much in love with her and very interested in having a sexual relationship with her. Yeah. Wow. So Understanding what, where things come from. Yeah. Very key. Yeah, well, you talk, I mean, early on in the book, and, you know, for, for listeners that have read Iron John or are familiar with Robert Bly, this may sound familiar, but you talk about that we all have an internal bright light because we're made in the image of God, but we also have mm-hmm. a shadow self. Um, mm-hmm. And that sometimes it's helpful to turn around and look at that shadow self and to confront it and deal with it and, and talk to it. And, and this, like you, you give language in the book to how to do that and how to look into the fantasies. And I just, I really appreciated that. Um, and I also appreciated, and you know, at the end of the book, um, what, what I called you know, earlier a, f- a field manual, um, you know, there's, you know, seven things that you talk about, um, you know, as it relates to an interaction that you have with someone in, in California, a, a healthy interaction, uh, not, not to be vague. Um, but these seven thoughts that, that you share in the book uh, to turn, you know, kind of a, a common fantasy into uh, to sort of, I guess, demystify that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we have to realize that as human beings, we are going to have sexual thoughts, we're going to have sexual attractions, we're going to have temptations. Like Martin Luther says, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, Hmm. but you can keep him from building a nest there. (laughs) And so what we have to realize is that even in those moments where no one would ever know, um, you know, that we acted a fantasy out. We have to remember that this fantasy is not really what I'm craving. That this right. fantasy is really just indicative of, of a much deeper need. And the way that I describe it is that you know, if you were to walk into your living room and your teenage son is projecting a pornographic movie onto the screen, would it make any sense for you to get angry at the screen? No. <laughs> what you have to look at is, the source of why are you projecting this onto that screen. So just remember that whatever we're fantasizing about, whether it's the the college professor or the boss or the, the preacher or the, the beautiful woman uh, that runs the snow cone stand on the street or, you know, whoever it is, we have to remember that these are merely screens that right. we're projecting an image onto. And we can't get obsessed with the screen. We have to look at the projection. We have to look at why would I assign that role to that person? Yeah. And a lot of times that person fills a, a father figure role, if it's a woman, or a mother figure role, or even if it's a man. You know, some men are very confused and bewildered as to why they would fantasize about other men, especially if they've never had any such encounter. Well, look at your relationship with the key men in your life. Uh, there was one guy who had this major breakthrough when he realized that um, it was because his dad left him at 14 that he would gravitate toward male-to-male porn because hmm. he just he missed that intimacy growing up. Um, so it's just very, very important that we not freak out, not beat ourselves up, not assume that we're this horrible pervert, and just look at the projection that we're putting on other people 
and take responsibility for healing the wound that's causing yeah. the projection rather than getting obsessed with the screen itself. Right. Wow. Shannon, my, my wife and I, um, we have a ministry uh, here in Alabama that deals with pornography and sex addiction and a lot of infidelity with a lot of couples uh, that we work with. And what often comes up, and I, and I hear what you're saying, and when people don't have the freedom really to, in a safe environment, to flesh out some of the things that you're describing, uh, what we think so often is shame so quickly and so early often begins to surround that, and there begins to be isolation, and you know, I'm not like everybody else. I'm somehow fundamentally flawed. In your research, how, how has how has shame, uh, and because we don't allow people the freedom to really explore this, um, how has shame really uh, maybe been used even to trap people um, in feeling like they're somehow inferior or just different from everybody else? It, that's a really great question because we have to understand that, that the role of shame is very negative in our lives. God never puts shame on us. He may put conviction on us, which is an invitation to choose a better path. But shame, it, it serves no purpose other than to create a downward vicious spiral. Because as I said, sexual fantasy is the brain's way of trying to, to heal itself or medicate some pain. Well, when we feel shame, guess what we feel the need for? Another hit to medicate our emotional pain. And it, it, it just it, we get further and deeper down into it. We have to believe that what Jesus said was true, that when he died on the cross, we are cleansed of all of our sin, even the sexual ones. We have to believe that his grace is sufficient for us. We have to believe that his mercies are new every morning. If we really believe the truth of the gospel, we don't have to get caught up in a downward shame spiral. We can let these things go and know that they don't have to shape us. They don't have to give us any sense of identity. Um, and I think about my own addictive years from the ages of 14 until almost 20 years old, just one sexual relationship after another. And I had to press the pause button and go, wait a minute, what do all these men have in common? And what I realized is that they were all older than me and all in some form of authority over me, which told me I wanted a father figure. And so rather than just beating myself up with shame of, oh my gosh, I've had all these sexual partners, I had to, first of all, reach out to my Heavenly Father and have a deeper level of intimacy with Him and then heal my relationship with my earthly father. And that took me a long way down the road from not feeling the need, not even experiencing the craving to get connected in an inappropriate relationship ever again. So again, understanding those roots and just laying that shame at the foot of the cross and letting God teach you what kind of trauma you're trying to medicate, what, try to, what, what void are you trying to fill in your life, and knowing that the answer isn't plugging another person into that void. That is the recipe for disaster. The answer yeah. is letting God heal that wound and, and right. show you how to conduct your life that's in line with your spiritual values. Hmm. Well, and so I love what you're saying there because when we when we bring the Christian life down and, and boil it all down to simple, do this, don't do this, and it just becomes behavior modification. And, and so much of the individuals coming out of certain circles where it's just kind of dumbed down, okay, I'm not supposed to be doing this, I am doing this, or maybe, as you were saying, I know you're supposed to be thinking about these things, I am, therefore I've got to, alone and isolated, I've got to fix this so I'll fit in with everybody, and just just having that understanding of the gospel as you're speaking to, that we can get beneath the surface, but go beyond the behavior, and really get to, to really what's driving the behavior. Yeah, and it is so important that this uh, not take on just 
just a repression of the issue. You know, there's a lot of people who just, they just want to stuff it down and ignore it and pretend that it's not there. And I liken that to, to a beach ball. If you put a beach ball in a swimming pool and you force it to the bottom of the pool, you may be successful for a while. But as soon as you let your grip go just the tiniest bit, what's going to happen to that beach ball? It's going to go flying up, not just to the surface of the water where it belongs, but way up into the sky and then come crashing down and create lots of ripple effects. And that's exactly what we see happen, especially in the Christian community, of people just repress it and repress it. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to admit it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to seek healing for it. They just want to ignore it. But then that's when it comes, you know, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for, guys? It, it just comes <laughs> rocketing, the right? for lack of a better word. It just comes rocketing. Yeah. Uh, back up to the surface, all the way out, creating a big mess. And, yeah. you know, we, we see that especially among Christian leaders. Yeah. That, that, that That's what they do. They repress, it explodes, and then they have to put the pieces back together again. And sometimes it's at a major loss, the loss of their ministry, the loss of their marriage, the loss of their family. It's just so not worth it. What we need to do is just learn to let the, the beach ball rest on the surface of the water to say, okay, I have these fantasies, but I understand where they come from. I understand what they actually mean. I know that to act out on them would never bring anything except disaster and destruction, and therefore I can... I can trust that God's grace really is sufficient for me in yeah. this area. As as Christians, uh, and maybe even as church or church leaders, how can we facilitate um, or make it easier or safer for others to, I guess to use the analogy, to let go of their beach ball? I think that creating you know safe environments um, whether that's you know small group studies on books like the fantasy fallacy whether that's um, you know making sure that people know that there are counselors who have training in in sexual areas um, that are available to speak with them either in their church or in the community that's that's very very important and you know I have to be I have to get on my soapbox just a little bit here um, <laughs> in that there are so many professional counselors and uh, you know, ordained ministers out there who have never, ever had a single class on human sexuality. Wow. And they don't know what to do when people yeah. bring these issues to them. And so I would say that the first thing that, that pastors and leaders and counselors can do is get some training yourself. Uh, go through the Institute for Sexual Wholeness um, in Georgia. Um, you know, find an organization that that can give you the tools in your tool belt that you need to be able to have these conversations with people about these very intimate sexual right. topics in a way that will encourage and strengthen them and that won't belittle them or bring them down um, because you can sure do a lot of damage in this area if you don't have the right tools in your tool belt. Yeah, and you talk, one of the appendix, uh, <laughs> appendices, appendixes uh, in the book talks about you know creating that safe haven and you mentioned groups like Celebrate Recovery and Pure Hope and Triple yes. X Church and things like that to help us um, create that that safe box for people to be able to reveal themselves a little bit. Because I, mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm convinced that growing up in church, I don't care how many children he had, my youth minister never had sex. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, my parents didn't have sex. My preacher didn't have sex. They were immaculately conceived, uh, yes. those children. And, and, and we sure, we definitely didn't talk about it. Um, so I think those are things that people can do. Uh, and that, and the book has those, those, those resources that people can look to, to start 
letting people feel maybe not comfortable, but feel safe in sharing that part of themselves. Well, and we also have to remember that, yes, it is the church's job. Sexuality is God's creation, and it is the church's job to communicate a sense of healthy sexuality to um, the parishioners. However, we also need to understand that sex education has to start in the home, and it has to start really young. And as parents, we need to communicate to our children as they're growing up. You are going to have certain sexual thoughts. They're going to be very confusing and bewildering and maybe guilt and shame inducing, but I want you to feel the freedom to talk with me or if you don't if you don't feel as if you can talk with me I'm happy to to take you to a counselor that you will feel comfortable talking with but just letting your kids know in advance this is gonna happen you can just bet your life on it that these thoughts because you are a sexual being you are gonna have sexual thoughts you are gonna have sexual feelings you are gonna experience sexual temptations and you do not have to suffer in silence over them because Adults do know that this is this is how you were made. There's nothing different about you that I brought you into this world as a sexual being, and you're going to be a sexual being from the day that you were born to the day that you die. Right. And you're going to have to learn to cope with your sexual desires and urges in a healthy way, and that may mean talking to someone about them at some point. Heaven forbid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the things, Shannon, back to Dr. Martin, we've been promoting your book a lot in our ministry, and one of the things that happened, though, with our small groups for men who are struggling with, with pornography and sex addiction and, and making strides. I remember one particular Monday night after group, one of our guys was, was really uh, disturbed because his wife had been reading Fifty Shades of Grey and she and some of her Facebook friends, some of the other housewives, were posting. And it was just almost like just a natural thing. And he was really frustrated that she had was so disconnected that she didn't see it as some of the same the same thing. Have you been surprised, and maybe some of the research you did before the book and then in writing the book, that there seems to be that disconnect, that that maybe we don't see books like Fifty Shades of Grey in the same light as, as, say, pornography? Well, let me help men understand why so many women, especially Christian women, have actually been drawn to this series. And I'm with you. It can be mind-boggling. Like, what? You'd actually read that? Oh, don't you know that that's female pornography type of a thing? But here's the supernatural draw. Here's the psychological reasoning behind it. Women are raised in a culture a lot different than boys are. We are told over and over, good girls don't, good girls don't. Our parents didn't say good girls don't until you get married. And then you do it often, you do it well, you enjoy it. We're just told good girls don't. So the only way that women a lot of times can actually relax and enjoy and experience sexual pleasure is to create a scenario in their head where it's not their choice. That I'm not being a bad girl because I'm enjoying this. It's being forced upon me. And so I'm not a bad girl. I'm just a victim but they can still hold on to their good girl identity. And so that's what you see in this trilogy is that this type of relationship, uh, especially with all the S&M stuff, is kind of being forced on her, and she's got a gag order on her. She can't talk about it with anybody because she signed this confidentiality agreement. So it creates that dynamic of, oh, she's not a bad girl. She just doesn't have any other choice. It's being forced on her. So that's why they call romance novels corset busters, is that (laughs) if they're in a role where they're merely a victim – then they still get to be a good girl. And so, yeah, I guess husbands need to understand that, you know, teaching your wife that it's okay to be a bad girl with me. It's not it's not that you're being bad. I hate that whole good girl, bad girl thing altogether. That you invite her to fully experience the sexuality that God has woven into the fibers of her being, and she doesn't have to create a scenario where it's forbidden 
or it's painful or it's a rape scene or being forced upon her, that this is something that you want her to just feel complete freedom to enjoy in a healthy context in the marriage bed. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. And that, and that kind of gets like what you're saying because the church is not leading with this conversation and what healthy sexuality is. We really have allowed the, the world to say, well, it must, it must be bad outside of this context, even in some contexts, maybe even in, inside the context of marriage, and just being able to celebrate this, create, this creation as a gift of what God has given us. Yeah. And so it, it, there's not the shame around it. And, and that's why I've written a follow-up book to The Fantasy Fallacy that comes out in January. It's called The Passion Principles, and the subtitle is Celebrating sexual freedom in marriage and it really starts with a, a very biblical foundation in that we spend the first fourth of the book talking about the spiritual component of our sexuality and dissecting all these scriptures and looking at the song of solomon and trying to find out what can we learn through god's word about this gift of sexuality but then we move on to the mental component and the emotional component and then finally the physical component that we can truly only experience the fullness of pleasure in the physical component when we understand a lot more about the spiritual and the emotional and the mental and the connection that we're supposed to have on those levels. Wow. And I look I look forward to, to reading that book. I, I so enjoyed the, the fantasy fallacy. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word. It was, it's been beneficial. <laughs> I think maybe the better, the better way to say it. Um, Shannon, how can, how can our listeners uh, learn more about you? How can they contact you? What's the best way for them to, um, to follow up and, you know, get the books and um, use yeah. your resources. Yeah, they can just go to shannonetheridge.com. It's E-T-H-R-I-D-G-E. And that's where they can learn about the Every Woman's Battle series, the Fantasy Fallacy, the upcoming Passion Principles. They can also learn about the coaching services that I offer over the telephone or Skype for people who live too far out of East Texas. <laughs> um they can learn about that BLAST mentorship program that I mentioned. Uh, there are a lot of people who do feel as if they have a lot to write or speak about, but they just don't know how to get started, so they can learn about that all at shannonetheridge.com. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've, again, I really have appreciated what, what your book has taught me, and I know that it will be a great resource for, for our listeners, and I just um, I pray blessings on uh, your continued work and your ministry. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate your partnership in ministry. Thanks, Shannon. Well, great. Thanks. Well, we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. What a, an incredible um, interview, and what I love about yeah. what, what Shannon is, is doing is that I think she is so courageously leading the charge about the conversation that the church so desperately needs to have, because yeah. we can't keep this, uh, to use her analogy, the beach ball underwater any right. longer. We've right. got to give people the freedom to talk openly in a safe environment about these kind of issues. Yeah, that was that's such a good analogy. I've heard that with some other guys use that about other things. But yeah, that analogy of like if you're repressing your sexuality, eventually it's just going to explode and rocket out, you know, to some other more than likely bad direction. You know, yeah, and how often do we see that in our culture? 
Yeah. 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 I mean, how often are we seeing that right now in our culture where it's like repress, 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 and then all these secrets are coming out. It's like, well, where did that come from? Right. And exactly. it's, wow, if we could just in the church, like we were talking about when we first began, even before our interview, just build these cultures of authentic fellowship. Right. Where we can take off our mask and be real and connect at weakness instead of having to say, hey, nothing to see here, I've got it all together. Well, guess what? We don't have it together. Right. You know, on so many fronts. So why do we keep pretending, let's let the gospel really meet us in some broken places. Yeah. And, and, and I, I just love her, her message and, and just look forward to having her on our show and, and just, just what a, we need to get this book out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I knew that she had a, a book that recently came out that was, uh, as I learned this morning, was a fiction book. Um, but, and I'm excited. I think that the title is The Passion Principle. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to read that when that comes out. I think that'll be another uh, great resource. I, I encourage all our listeners to to grab that book. I've got it on Kindle. Uh, it reads really well on Kindle. Um, just a really good resource, good stories and good resource for for folks that, that identify with that. Um, so everybody knows how to get in touch with Shannon from that interview. Trey, how can how can folks connect with you? Yeah, um, if someone maybe uh, guys who want to get in touch with me, uh, Twitter, I'm at T. Lovern on Twitter, and um, my email address, trailer at root1520, that's R-O-U-T-E 1520.com. You can also find us, we've got two websites, uh, one for our um recovery ministry, which is Route 1520. That's at Route1520.com. And you can also find us at TreyandNell.com. And if anybody's interested in our uh, Undone Redone show, it's on Facebook at Undone Redone. Yeah. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Undone Redone. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's uh, I think I found it through iTunes as well. That's where I got yeah. got yeah. the episode. It's on iTunes. Cool, sure man. Is. Well, thank, man, thanks a ton for, for sitting in with us. And, yeah, Trey, thank you, man. And, and partying a little bit on the on the Pirate oh. Monk schooner. <laughs> yeah. Man, my, my pleasure. This is, this is certainly my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, cool. Hey, Mondo, how if uh, if guys want to send us their reactions on the interview yeah. or let us know kind of what they want to hear on future episodes, how do they get in touch with us? Uh, SamsonPodcast at gmail.com. If you have complaints, send them to Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Address those to Aaron yeah. at notgonnareply.org. Yeah, cigar sent to Newton and Mondo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, invitations to speak. You probably won't send that to Nate. Right. Right. But, uh, you don't want to send it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Not me either. But uh, <laughs> but Samson Podcast at Gmail dot com. Cool. And then we're on Twitter as well pi- yep. at Pirate Monk Radio. Uh, we'd love for you to interact with us there. Absolutely. Uh, so next week, who do we have next week? Do you know? Man, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that is a Jay Spiegel question. But, cool. Uh, well, then we'll. It's going to be somebody sweet. It, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll edit that back in in a second. Uh, so but we've got a great guest next week. Uh, so until next week on the Pirate Monk radio show, uh, for Mondo, uh, for our friend Trey, for Nate, and for Aaron, thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Shannon Etheridge. We'll see you next week on the Pirate Monk podcast. <laughs>